We're back with more three-point range. This is Mike Berardino, joined as always by the Professor Tim Crothers and the Scout Kimball Crossley, and spring training is upon us, and Kimball, we don't know what, if we'll ever talk to Kimball again, so listen closely tonight <laughs> because it really is just going to empty the tank. But we're going to start down in Chapel Hill with Tim. What's on your mind, Tim? Well, boys, as you know, we are less than two weeks away now from Selection Sunday. And I think it's time to ask and answer the eternal question. Does seeding really matter? So uh, as a teacher, you all know I'm a teacher, and I like to keep it interactive. So let's take a really, really easy quiz, okay? You guys ready? Yes. Okay. Um, when the brackets are announced... Would you rather be a number one seed or a number three seed? And please don't elaborate. I just want the answer. One, a one seed or a three seed? One. One. Okay. Would you rather be a three seed or a five seed? Three. Five. <laughs> Wrong. Would you rather be a five seed or a seven seed? Seven. Eh. <laughs> Would you rather be a seven seed or a nine seed? One. <laughs> seven. <laughs> I'll just say I'm always going to say I'd rather be the are, uh, better. All right. Well, lower this is right. like going to the Mike, eye doctor. Mike has been. Mike has. Mike has flunked. He he need, no no longer needs to continue. Kimball. Uh, so so I'm assuming if I ask you, Kimball, would whether you'd rather be a nine seed or eleven eleven seed, you you would nine, say nine. And you both failed. Uh, that's where, that was the tricky question. Right. Since, since the NCAA tournament expanded to 64 teams in 1985, four, count them, four number 11 seeds have reached the final four. 1986 LSU, 2006 George Mason, 2011 VCU, and 2018 Loyola Chicago. During that time, just one number nine seed has made it, made the final four. Four number nine seeds have reached the Elite Eight. Eight number 11 seeds have reached the Elite Eight. And those eight, of those eight, they have a winning record in those Elite Eight games. Now, in the earlier rounds in recent years, there have been at least one 11 over six upset in 15 consecutive tournaments. And 28 out of 60 total, almost half during that stretch. 12 of those 28 went on to win at least one more game, and five of them reached the Elite Eight. I know that's a lot of numbers, but trust a me, lot. They're, they're all good for, for 11 seeds. So why you ask all of this success for 11 seeds? Now, there are plenty of theories. Um, some are that maybe there's these underappreciated but dangerous mid-majors who kind of get, get into an 11 seed or a Power 5 bubble team that, gets hot in the final weeks and sneaks into the field. But the biggest reason is simply that they are avoiding the number one seed. Right. With the way the NCAA tournament bracket is structured, 11 seeds are guaranteed to avoid the number one seed until at least the Elite Eight. And 11 seeds are also avoiding the number two seed until the Sweet 16, where the number two seed has already been, been knocked out one-third of the time. Meanwhile, number nine seeds win their second round game if they even survive the game against number eight, 50-50 chance. 
They win their second round game against the number one seed well below 10% of the time, which means they're basically cannon fodder. So, uh, and that's all of that comes from seasons not plagued by COVID, as our resident bracketologist, Mr. Crosley, suggested last week. The 2021 tournament is probably going to be more unpredictable than ever. And I'd submit that maybe one of the few things we may be able to count on, one of the very few, is the strength of those top seeds. So as three alums of UNC, this is particularly relevant to, to us and our alma mater this season because in the current bracketology prognostications, the Tar Heels are floating somewhere between a number nine seed and a number 11 seed. So the math actually indicates that it may be in the Tar Heels' best interest to lose a game like they did against Syracuse uh, to ultimately settle into that magical number 11 seed. Okay, boys, tell me how right I am. Well, it makes me feel better about that loss. And maybe, you know, mm -hmm. Roy Williams has been outsmarting us all along. He was just like, no, I need to slip into that 11 seed. Uh-oh, we're going mm -hmm. too high. Let's lose to Marquette. Uh-oh, now we're too low. Let's be for Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, you know, th there's some, obviously, parts that are right. And it is an interesting, you know, aspect of the, the seeding and how, like, you know, where you face, especially like the idea that the 11th seed is guaranteed to not face the first seed, um, uh, you know, and, and I, I, I won't go into a long thing now, maybe at some point, but Mike, I'll give Mike a chance to say it, but I've always thought, you know, that you, you have to have seeding of some kind, but especially with what you say, it just proves to me all the more why, why we can't like uh, have it done by a committee. And if, if randomness or or some some like a point system slotting puts you in a space, then you just say, okay, that's where it was meant to be. As opposed to someone's like, well, actually, I'd like to slot my favorite team here because look, that's in my conference and I'm on the committee or that's wherever. So, yeah, that's that's wild. I was just wondering if Tim could repeat uh, all those numbers. No. Well, I just want to know. Kimball says only parts of it are right. I are you are you casting well, you said, well, on my research team? No, 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 no. Your premise, your premise is is the seeding even matter? Well, uh, what are the numbers I, for the I number would... one seeds going to the final four? I mean, you know, it still benefits to be a one seed. It still of benefits course. probably to be a two seed. So, so yeah, you might I, say like after a while. Um, after I'm not a certain arguing number. against seeding. I'm not arguing really? against seeding. I'm I'm purely pointing out that that through a quirk in seeding, a number eleven seed has a better chance to get to the final four than a number eight or nine seed. History right. history tells us that. It 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 matters. Like and you again, your premise was does seeding even matter? It, it matters uh, to some degree, but at some point, yes, the the almost the randomness or just the way a tournament will break down. Because we all know, like that's one of the crazy things about a tournament is sometimes you get a break, you know, you in what looks like a rough bracket, and then somebody knocks off somebody for you, and next thing you know, you've got a great, you know, an easy ride. So, um, you know, I, 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 I think I did answer your question in that sense. Go ahead, Mike. <laughs> what? Well, I mean, look, yeah, you no, I, I agree with matters, Kimble. I agree with Kimball. It does matter if you. If, it, it, I didn't say it didn't matter. One matters. That was the premise of your question. No, it wasn't. I just said I. I, I you said I, the seating I even asking, matter. Does it matter? Does it matter? I'm saying it does. I'm what? saying it does. I okay. would. That an 11th seat. <laughs> it does matter. 
I'm saying I'd rather I would definitively rather be an 11 seed than a nine seed. So it okay. does matter. Yeah, I well, think- maybe that's where you should go. You should say teams should be able to say like, "Hey, uh, you've earned the right to pick your spot. Mm-hmm. Uh, where would you like to go?" And then, of course, no one wanted to do that because they don't say like, "I want to play Oklahoma State." Yeah, good luck with that when you make that call in Oklahoma State. It's like, oh, okay, here we go. What What about there's, a there's- What about a concept yeah. where after the first weekend, uh, you reseed the right. survivors in each bracket in each region. So uh, the top remaining seed in that region plays the bottom remaining seed instead of the randomness of some of these things that do tend to repeat. I mean, there's, there may be a reason that, that these certain seeds tend to be uh, almost, you know, granted a, a free pass to the Sweet 16 or even to the Final Eight. It's why you keep, I don't know. I mean, there's, um, I, I would, I, they talk about in the NBA and they never do it, but I would. I think it'd be fascinating if you went back and looked at how some of the matchups would have been. You just. It feels like so many times when that one seed is fortunate enough that uh, there was a or whatever the, the the three or the four that gets that magical run to the eight. It it was a matter of getting to face another Cinderella who was even weaker or whatever, and it it does tend to happen. I'd like to see a reseeding uh, for the Sweet Sixteen. Um, everyone that, who run everyone who runs a bracket pool, including me, rejects that idea summarily. <laughs> Think of That's what right. a headache that would be. Oh yeah. my God! Well, they're all those four are all reporting to the same location for that second uh, weekend. So that's right, not... but you'd have to get in touch with everybody who's in your pool and say, "All right, no, now who do you want to win?" Well, it's you not would a... just you would just know you would just pick winners. Like I pick the thirty-two winners in the first round, and then you just say, "Here are my sixteen teams." And, you know, they're just dying, you know, mm-hmm. one after another. So I don't know if it would be really that different. I mean, you're still just saying, who do you think is going to the eight? You know, and of course you might. If you're doing it round by round. But again, then then you have to re you have to reconvene the, the No, you just realize that, that one of your teams that you thought would go to eight is facing your other team that you thought in 16 when originally you didn't think that would happen. So I guess. I don't know. But yeah, obviously so much of why the tournament is the way it is is because it's fun and it's money and it's it's brackets and it's And it's brackets, and, that's it. Right, you guys right, are trying so. to ruin the brackets. I don't know. <laughs> I, don't I love know. I love I love picking a bracket and and having my little dot. And uh <laughs> and the, but the the other dirty little secret that comes out in Tim's research is it and you know, uh CBS doesn't trumpet this and you know, but it's there have been a couple of years where all four number ones, but definitely three number one. One, no, one year, one year, all three. Four. It's pretty consistent that three number ones go to the final four. It's a very chalky no. event. It's a very chalky event. It's, it's most often two. Two is the way you you are encouraged of threes. through my research to pick two number one seeds, uh, a number two seed, and then a lower seed. That is yeah. that is the most likely scenario. Yeah. And it's still a relatively small sample. I mean, like, you know, even if we have 30, 40 years of it, I mean, that's not hundreds of years. And and so, like, you know, there could be a trend. 11 seeds could go on a three-year losing streak. Um, and uh, 15 years in a row. Yeah, no, it's it's That's wild. pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can't wait. Mm-hmm. I can't wait, although it is going to be strange all in my state of Indiana with very little Indiana representation if if – Beyond Purdue, maybe. Uh, okay, well, on to the next point. Uh, Is Tim we'll, done? Are you done? I, you I don't. That? I think he's done. So now. It's I mean, I done. don't. 
unless you can tell me what's wrong, I'm still waiting to hear what's wrong with my with my point. I don't even know what well, the point was. But, but well, what do you want us to say? I mean, like, um, <laughs> I would. I just wanted you to back you're not up. You said it's only, solution. only it's partly you're not, right. You're not proposing no, a solution. I, no, I'm just. I I I just think it's a it's a cool quirk. Do you have any? Do you have any? You know, do you have any opposition to this? No, not other than what I've said already. Okay, um, then that's fine. Go ahead, move on. Uh, all right. Well, I'm already a little, a little ornery, and and as you might have noticed, and this is going to be a little bit like a therapy session for me, because even before this disastrous loss, this terrible, pathetic loss to Syracuse by the Tar Heels, I, uh, I was sitting there asking myself, why do I care so much? Why do I let them hurt me? Um, and I, as I look forward to the Duke UNC game this weekend, I, I, I again go like, why does this matter to me so much? I mean, you guys know when you don't know. I mean, first of all, people out there don't know that it, if I end up murdering someone and I don't plan to, there's a good chance it will happen during or after a UNC Duke game. I mean, I'm a pretty mild mannered guy, but when that game is on and you've seen this firsthand, like I'm a rabid dog. I, I lose my mind. And it's I, I, I have to ask, you know, like myself, like, why do I care so much? And I'll bring up some points that make me wonder, like, again, why I care so much. All right. Uh, you know, first of all, I'm not from North Carolina. I grew up in New York City. I didn't know what a the to the Tar Heels were a year or two before I attended UNC. I couldn't have told you them from NC State or who Dean Smith was. And yet I I, I had this weird allegiance to this this team. Okay. And especially when I'm I'm a thinking man sports fan. I've been known to to root against my team if I had a philosophical objection. Okay. So like I'm a diehard Jets fan as well. And that makes more sense. I grew up going to Jets games with my dad's season tickets. I grew up in New York City. You know, they hit me at a very emotional age, six, seven, eight, nine years old, not 18, 19, 20. And even then, I'm able to root against the Jets the year they tra they traded for Brett Favre. I was like, no, no, I, re I reject this premise. I don't like what they did here. And I rooted against them. And my boy, Chad Pennington, won the dang division. And I was happy. Believe me, I was actually really, truly happy that the Jets went down that year with Brett Favre. But... UNC, I, I, even when I don't even like the team, I don't like this team. I don't like Caleb Love, okay? I hate the way he goes about his business. And I just don't trust the guy. You know, and there's a lot of things. That, there's not one player on this team I go like, man, I really love. That's the way to go about it. And usually there is a guy. I don't even like this team that much, but yet it, it matters to me. It's a kick in the gut when they lose. And I don't understand. And the last thing I will confess is, all right, so I coach basketball. Basketball is in my blood. Basketball is in my blood more than baseball because I grew up playing it. Baseball is in my brain. I understand it. I analyze it as a scout and the, the, the numbers, the analytics. But basketball is in my blood. And I was once, I coached basketball, as you know, high school basketball. And I've coached for 25, 30 years. And one year I was going in for a job interview. And I had never gotten this question before. And the guy said, hey, what? college coach are you most like do you think what do you what do you do the most things like i'm like i thought about it that way and i was like oh my god no <laughs> i said i guess coach k and i hate the guy but 
But listen, I believe in man-to-man defense, which at the time he believed in, but he's become the zone guy now. And I believe in a shorter rotation, not just playing 11 guys to play 11 guys because you could lose the game at any time, okay? And I believe in an offense where you really try and get your best guys the ball more instead of like, oh, let's pass it around five times and be democratic about it. And I believe in like running the same set over and over until they stop it. And these are all things that I think Coach K does really well. And these are things that I think are a flaw with UNC. Now, to get some basketball in, UNC has its strengths. There's reasons I don't like what Duke does. You know, they don't really work on in practice boxing out. And UNC is always one of the best, if not the best, box out teams in the country. People say UNC soft, but UNC, again, is always there in rebounding. And that takes toughness. And they will step up against like a Michigan State and and not get overpowered there. There's something weird in the culture. I admit that, but I don't know if it's that. Um, and so I love it. I love that UNC seems to work on things. Whenever they have a flaw, they drill it, they drill it, they drill it. And and that's another reason I love. But I, it's not like I, I, I just believe in everything they do. I love everything about them. And still, I can't not care. All right, so now I'll turn it back to you guys because I do have a theory and I, you guys got to finally come clean on this, okay? Let me take you back to when we were all at UNC, and I, we were all young journalists. And these other people working for the Daily Tar Heel, the North Carolina paper, were falling in love with Mike Krzyzewski, and were going to his games and writing nice things about him, and they, they would just love him. And meanwhile, Dean Smith, they hated him. Like, he's just a bad interview. He's an annoying guy. And I was, like, defending Dean because I said, you know what? It's not about how well you interview. It's not about being nice to us, okay? And he's doing his job. And he's actually, if most people tell you he's a really nice person and really loyal to his people, uh, you know, that around the program, but not the media. And I watched a lot of you turn on the Tar Heels and become dookies. And I don't know if that's maybe dig my feet in more and say, come on, stick to this. Even though I think as a fan, you should be loyal to something but you can also be a conscientious objector if like Brett Favre comes along and you decide, or the Mets making a lot of crazy back page moves, you're allowed to leave. So again, I'm just looking for why I need to know why, why I care so much. And you guys got to come clean now. What do you really feel? Do you get that kick in the gut when they lose to Syracuse? Does it hurt you to the core? Or are you able to just somehow not be involved emotionally? Well, (laughs) I've been all over the map on it over the years. I basically root for myself in in all sporting endeavors. If I have expressed an opinion, especially publicly, but even among those who are around me uh, on something, I want to be right. And so, you know, I I hear what Kimball's saying about certain players uh, or certain teams appealing to him more. and sometimes even rooting against the laundry that you would uh, be uh, expected to root for, for whatever perceived loyalty, just because something about it offends you. I mentioned I didn't like uh, Richard McCants uh, early uh, earlier on this uh, show, uh, and so the 05 final was a weird experience, and I was covering it, and I really just wanted to win the pool with Illinois. But I liked Illinois. I liked the way Illinois, I really liked that Illinois team. Um, so I don't. I don't. Uh, I, I sometimes try it on the school. I try on the concept of school. I'm at a great <laughs> distance, 
I, you know, when I rooted for Carolina was when I, I enjoyed the Carolina teams, the, the, the team that lost to Villanova in the championship, the team that, that came back and won the next year, because it felt like with that, that anvil hanging over the program and the potential, you didn't ever really think they'd get the death penalty, but that they would really be slammed down. And maybe that was going to be the last chance in a while that they would be that significant. And so I found myself rooting for them more because I felt they needed me. Uh, and so they needed, <laughs> they needed a little support, but when they're just, I, I not, and I will say this in the Roy Williams era, they have been more often than not, uh, easier to root for for some reason i don't know less mechanical more just you know, they play so fast um they uh, more fun to watch um i don't know personalities i mean marcus page one of the all-time uh clutch players and just just uh, and joel barry I, I really enjoyed him all those guys so it's been easier of late to plug into the carolina thing whereas i had i was taught and we're going to have this guy on the show here uh soon but my first sports editor at the Daily Tario is Lee Roberts. And Lee Roberts, you guys would have had plenty of back and forth with him. And he would he just pounded it into us on that staff. The worst thing you could be as a student journalist was a homer. And so there was no homerism allowed. So if you could root for any if you you're not supposed to root for anything except a quick, tidy game and an easy the best story, etc. But if the last team you were allowed to root for was Carolina anything if you were going to be on the Daily Tar Heel and do it right. And so that was that stayed with me all these years, that you had to be adversarial toward those who had to, you know, the support of everyone else on campus, in theory. So basically what Mike's saying is that he roots for whoever he's bet on. Exactly. Which we learned <laughs> is it, it, that, that's always what it's going to come down to. Blatant uh, self-interest. I'll tell my I'll tell my story, which is similar to Kimball's. When I, growing up as a Yankee in Connecticut, uh, I remember distinctly watching the 1981 NCAA championship game, and uh, and rooting against North Carolina. I did not know at that point that I was had not even a thought that I would attend North Carolina. Uh, I didn't know, know know anything about it except for they ran this this infernal, boring four corners offense when they got got up late in games and I thought it was just terrible it made me just just beg for the shot clock and I thought I just thought you know it, it was not my cup of tea and and uh one year exactly one year later I'm on the Chapel Hill campus painted Carolina blue from top to bottom <laughs> jumping up and down on a Toyota on Franklin Street after Carolina wins the national championship so I came a long way <laughs> um, but, but that, but that, as Mike suggests, was beat out of me little by little during my time at, at the Daily Tar Heel to the point where I stopped rooting for either team. I, I rooted for, I, I root for the story. And I taught, I tell my students that all the time when I'm, when I'm, uh, lecturing in my class that we're always rooting for the story. We don't care who wins. We just want it to be a good story. And that's all that's, that has since been what I've rooted for. All along, um, and it only that only began to change slightly when uh, when I had a kid, uh, two actually, but only one of them cares about sports, and the one who does care about sports is a massive, of course, Carolina fan, growing up in in uh, in Chapel Hill, 
And that has af affected me in the sense that um, I prefer it when he's happy as opposed to when he's not. <laughs> and so there's, there is something inside of me. I don't know that I'm really rooting for Carolina to win as, as much as I'm rooting for my son to be happy. Um, so when Caroline is playing, I guess, you know, for that purpose, uh, uh, you know, when it's, when it's not something I'm covering, which I'm rarely doing these days, then, uh, yeah, I'm going to root for, for the happiness of my child. Um, right, but, and I, so I, and I admit too, that when, when, when it comes down to this, when we, when we fill out our brackets, I don't care. My loyalty is completely to whatever, whatever team I picked. I want to be smart. I want to. I want to to feel like I knew what I was talking about, and I want to win the bracket pool. And if I have picked against Carolina in that situation, and it's gonna make me look smart, I'll I'll root for whoever I picked. So what? What? Come on! They can't. They couldn't have beaten it all out of you. You guys must. There must be some games you watch and you have great emotional attachment to them that you you're even surprises you how much you care and. Yeah, players. Mike had Mike had great emotional attachment to that game. He lost fifteen hundred bucks on. <laughs> so <laughs> Mike right? is still a Dolphins fan, right? <laughs> I still had to make deadline. And when I think back on that night, that it was all about writing. You know, living up to the you know, the privilege of being at the Final Four, sent there to cover it, wanted to do it properly, and then the very next thing, as soon as I sent was oh that hurt you know and, and uh it really did and uh, packing up i i thought more about the the money lost than the column written but, <laughs> but while i was writing it i was all in on my job a total responsibility to the the one talent i have and um that, that's it that's all i have and and uh so um that's that's i, I when i when kimball says that i'd say uh it would have to be miami dolphins related but but in the past, those games in the past, really the minute the minute Marino retired, I did not have any any uh, skin in that game anymore. I I, mean, I follow them. I think they're interesting. I, I couldn't name more than six guys right now, uh, but I think they're on the right track. But I, it's just uh, I don't associate. I don't I don't feel that that association anymore. Baseball. Again, the best story you might, you know, the Rays were a compelling story and certainly um, Rays Dodgers. I mean, that was certainly uh, something where it's like, well, I'd like to see the, the, the underdog. You generally root for the underdog. I find myself doing that. Or if you do know an individual there who's been, you know, deprived of a championship for all so many years, whatever, you, you or somebody you covered in the past, you, you might root for them. But this idea of just being all in with a certain team, uh, come hell or high water, um, I uh, I don't have it. I, that's something that I think that you have to give up as a as a sports journalist, and you have to give it up early on, or you you will be embarrassed because we have seen people uh, even on Tobacco Road covering uh, games, and not necessarily rooting for Carolina, but uh, let's face it, there's people who have covered uh, ACC sports for a long time who really do care who wins. And I don't know how they are able to meet deadline and think clearly and do their job when their their faces are turning purple because they don't like <laughs> the way that the game is going and pound. There's a guy down there who's well known for pounding the table when his when his team is losing and and he's covering the game and I, and I and I was just astounded that you could do it and and, and horrified really that you would continue to do it that way. But 
Uh, and I don't, by no means, so I think the ACC media is the only group that has folks who would s- struggle with that. Uh, but it's a strange, it's a foreign concept to me. I, I just, I just, it just left it behind. It's for, it's childish. It's you childish to care that much. Heart. But so Kimble, Tim, Kimble, you need to grow up. No heart for you, Tim? The different, no, I'm, I, I'm, I'm very much, uh, except for, as I said, the fact that, that I have a son who's who's a hundred percent invested in it, wow. and also that I live in Chapel Hill, so I'm surrounded by people, obviously, who have who have a stake in it, and and whose whose lives wow. are positively or negatively affected by Carolina's uh, fortunes. That that naturally, I guess, seeps into my into my feelings when you know on next Saturday I'm going to be surrounded by people who are dying for Carolina to win. And, and some of them, I actually care, care about their happiness. All right. And so this so, therapy, yes. this therapy session has concluded because, you well, know what? no, no, you know what? I'm going to stick the way, way I am because it's worked because Atticus don't ever grow up. Always care. I'd rather care too much than not care at all. And I'm going to stick with the pain because I want to feel the joy too. I don't want to just be, like have no emotion in the game. So Atticus, stick with me. Let's stay young. Let's root for the heels or whoever has our heart and stick with it and not become cold, cold, unfeeling journalists or guys like your dad, Mike Ferradino. (laughs) It's not a matter of being heartless. It's a matter of of what our our resumes are different than yours. Mike is a journalist. I am a journalist. You are not. It's that simple. Yeah, yeah. I, I but you're, so. you don't, you're not journaling anything about the NHL, are you? You not you don't have a anything going with the Arsenal soccer team. You know, like there's teams you can root for that you don't have to cover. It is interesting. It seems like in the last decade or so, I see more uh, because the Premier League's showing so much more on NBC here. There's a lot of a lot, lot of journalists who just say, "Well, I'm all in on this team," or you know, Liverpool was, and they're all rooting for the teams that are most dominant. But um, but even that, you know, I, I, during the pandemic, that was the first sport that came back. So I tried to get into the Premier League, and I really respect it. And, you know, I, I, I uh, I'm, you know, of course, I, I but I, even then, you know, I, I was just watching to uh, marveling at trying to learn, trying to just watching it with a, with a, with an eye, like uh, imagine, you know, just trying to appreciate, not saying, well, I'm just going to root for Liverpool and all, you know, no matter what, you know, of course, this would have been a bad year to do that. And um, just in time for their collapse. But that's, that's Kimball makes an interesting point, that there are safe zones perhaps for those who want to remember what it was like to really care. Uh, but even then, I do think, and I you find myself, I find myself on this podcast going back to my youth and I'm about to do it again and at my point, um, that still means so much more. Stuff that happened 40 years ago, uh, 45 years ago, resonates so much more with me now than something I could possibly watch lately because I, because of the youth, just the magic of the first time you ever saw it. The first time you ever heard Keith Jackson or the first time you ever, you know, saw whatever happened on the field. First time you saw Jack Nicholas play those, those first excellence, greatness, possibilities, the first time it was just so eye-opening it was just it was you're just you're just flabbergasted and nothing will ever compare basically for me 
or the first time you ever saw or ever heard Irv Cross? Well, now please don't step all over the point. We still have a little homework to do. Uh, I was just teasing, teasing oh, it. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, I don't. Okay, well we'll get there. We'll get to that. This is a three-point range, and uh, the, the, we come on uh, now weekly for you. And we might go back to twice a week, but right now weekly because we don't want to overwhelm you with our brilliance. But this is the show where, as Kimball mentioned, uh, this is where we talk about some things that you might not hear elsewhere. And you can hear us on Spotify and Stitcher and Google Podcasts and Anchor.fm. We have a three-point range Facebook page, we invite you to check out and like. We have a three-point range sub-stack um, that uh, can show up right in your inbox if you just share your email. So we're coming at you from a variety of angles, and we're open to any sort of requests. We do take requests. We do take feedback, and we appreciate it. We only have a few minutes left, and that's probably just as well. But you know that, as I just mentioned, even before Tim threw the name out, I... I um, I think that Irv Cross's passing is is something that merits a few words here, and that is in in those fifteen years that Irv Cross was uh, on the NFL today, which uh, it's hard for people in this saturated era uh, or a couple generations into saturation, but the NFL today was a big deal, and uh, Irv Cross just seemed like a. Well, the, he just seemed like a, a guy who was there. But then you read Richard Sandomir's uh, obit in the New York Times, and you realize that Irv Cross played at Northwestern, and if he weren't so good at Northwestern for Era Parsegian, beating Notre Dame three times, well, Era Parsegian probably doesn't get hired away by Notre Dame. If Irv Cross doesn't play as well as he did in the NFL as a defensive back when the Eagles were great championship team um you know maybe he doesn't end up on television if Irv Cross doesn't analyze games decently and well enough in the early 70s to become a groundbreaking full-time minority voice on the NFL um well maybe the the future of broadcasting would have been a little different so he passed at age 81 and uh went on to become an athletic director I never realized uh, at two different universities. I never realized the Dallas Cowboys tried to hire him to their front office in the early 70s. So, you know, sometimes uh, it, it was he was overshadowed always by Phyllis George, who was groundbreaking. We lost her in the last year. Jimmy the Greek, who was groundbreaking. <laughs> Jimmy the Greek was groundbreaking. We lost him. We lost him a while him? ago. A, a mm-hmm. while ago. I can't, mm-hmm. but he used to live in mm-hmm. Durham. We knew exactly mm-hmm. where his house was, right? And, mm-hmm. uh, Always wanted to Ding. go up and knock on the door, but I, did, I didn't bother the Greek. And I have, and Brent, this leaves Brent. So hang in there, Brent Musburger. But uh, you are looking alive. You are looking alive. <laughs> but the thing, uh, I'll just share this quote with you because you know you guys like to razz me for for uh, talking uh, too much about uh, people who passed on. Dead people. Well, <laughs> listen to this. Listen to this quote that that Irv Cross once gave. Uh, he, well, well, you could Red Smith, who, who Tim doesn't ever get to Sports Illustrated without an appreciation of Red Smith, once had a book called Letters to Absent Friends, right? So uh, it was all about his his final say on, on those who had passed. Um, 
I don't find it funny at all. But uh, <laughs> Irv Cross uh, gave an interview. Uh, and he said back in 1975, the TV landscape was much different, much wider. And he said he never focused on that. He said, but I was keenly aware that if I failed, it might be a long time before another black person got a similar opportunity. And it's hard for people maybe to think about that right now or imagine a time when all eyes were on Herb Cross and and uh, one uh, mistaken word, one one unfortunate uh, answer, whatever. He, if he screwed up in any way, it, it really there there was a lot on the line. So he was solid. He was solid for 15 years and uh, and a part of uh, so many uh, Sunday afternoons for me. And uh, and so I uh, I thought we should honor him in that way. Now, all I would say, I have no I have nothing beyond that uh, to say other than um, I'll go back to what I said before. The power of the of the the, the imprint of memories that have, are with us for 40 years. Uh, are, are always going to mean more. So Irv, Irv Cross there, you know, I, I believe there's a story too, last thing, I believe there's a story about uh, Jimmy the Greek and and uh, and Brent got into a fist fight and Irv Cross broke it up. So there you go, Peacemaker. And who knows where that would have gone if not for Irv Cross, but uh, an underrated yeah. gentleman. And if, uh, I'm glad he came along. Uh, I'll blame this next comment on my bad mood, but we're, we're not supposed to speak ill of the dead, but, you know, <laughs> Irv, I have nothing against his playing career and other things he accomplished. And yes, it's great that he broke ground there and managed to do that. But um, two things I'll say is, one, I can anybody remember anything he said on the air? <laughs> and two, and two, two, as a young wannabe journalist who would only become a scout instead of a journalist. I um, I grew up in New York City and I love Brent Marsberger and I found myself getting to spend a day on the set of NFL Today where I got to sit backstage oh. and watch everything and, and, and there I was watching football games on the monitors with Jimmy the Greek and I remember that very well and I remember talking to Brent Musburger. I remember nothing about Earth Cross that oh. day. <laughs> Zero. You didn't get a photo with him? No photo? Nothing. Well, that was his that was his magic. He just he just passed right through the airwaves. He knew he could not be incendiary. He, he couldn't be he couldn't say what he wanted to say. He just had and imagine what he had. You know how Jimmy the Greek uh, imploded. Ima just imagine the comments Irv Cross must have had to put up with uh, off camera with that group. But he did. But that's 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 quite a story. Um, I could respond by saying that I've got a lot more stats about number eleven seeds in the NCAA tournament. If you'd like to hear them, no, no, anybody, no, anybody, no. Okay, just, that, that's all I got. And uh, did, did the Earth Cross, for example, like, did, was he a stat guy? Like, what did he bring to the table? He was a heck of a player. He was a heck of a player. And basically, he was, in my mind, he was Tom Jackson before Tom Jackson, right? There's no Tom Jackson just being agreeable and, and playing along with the host. What about and, James Brown? Isn't James Brown a more, a more, uh, James a Brown's a host? James Brown's a host. Irv Cross, Irv, Cross was? No, Irv Cross technically was there. Well, the only one guy out of the only one person out of those four played they were professional all hosts. sports. They were only all one. Hosts. Irv Cross was the analyst. He he had played the game at a very high level. 
sitting next to the Greek, Phyllis. I, I don't remember Brent. any of his analysis. I I, I just remember thinking of he, all he, Phyllis, Phyllis, and Brent, all as hosts. I oh, and then perhaps, and then the Greek. Greek right. was giving us some. You might some want. Bets. It's all on YouTube. It's all on YouTube. You can go back and find it. And uh, and let me know next time uh, about the majesty of Irv Cross's. Uh, no, I don't think they gave him much airtime. I don't think he was there basically to laugh at the other people's jokes and say a few things and narrate some brief highlights. But it's not like Irv uh, Kimball's right. It's not like Irv Cross ever came out and spoke out, you know, and, and called the NFL racist or anything. He he was very he w- went along to get along. Because uh, did he have a catchphrase at all? Did did he? <laughs> No, you know, did he have a booyah? Did he have anything? What was his what was that, his catchphrase? And, and for that, he should be lauded. For that, he should. Mm. There was no catchphrase. He didn't need a catchphrase. But he, what he was mm. was gen, he was he was he had so much more to offer based on this Richard Sandman here. Open. <laughs> he had so much more to offer, and they wouldn't let him have the mic. So, just be glad, Charles Barkley. Uh, Kenny Smith, uh, everybody today who just brings it from a minority standpoint and f- has the freedom to be completely honest, thank Irv Cross for biting his tongue all those years and making it even possible to get just get that concept into the 90s. He went all the way to 1990, which is hard. Imagine to if he was entertaining how much more quickly that would have happened. <laughs> he had a, he had a, he had a, he had a, well... I'm sorry, Irv. Like, we've done this podcast. You're going at 11 to in the morning. You're going to hell. After the you're UNC going to game. Hell. I blame <laughs> the heels and Syracuse and Buddy Bayheim. That's, it. That's, and, it. That's, that's it. it. That's if it. If you'd just chosen to be a journalist, you wouldn't have this problem. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you wouldn't be so freaking crusty. I mean, well, come that, on, man. That was uh, that. Yep. All right. Pete. And I just want to say that I spent six days b- crunching numbers on number eleven seeds, and all it, it sounds like all you did was read one story in the New York Times. But okay, it's a hell of a story. Whatever. It's a hell of a story. Uh-huh. Who wins? <laughs> who's the Who's the winner now? All right. Well, that was three point range, and uh, thank you for listening. For uh, Kimball Crossley and Tim Crothers, I'm Mike Berardino, and we'll see you next time.